You're listening to the SSPX Podcast. This is the fourth part of Father Stephen McDonald's personal retreat on the Sacred Heart. This episode is on the prodigal son. Father examines our repentance and the ability of our Lord to forgive infinitely. If you are able to help support the work of the SSPX Podcast and keep these personal retreats and stories going, please visit sspxpodcast.com and there you can find information on how to make a recurring donation to the podcast. Five, ten, even twenty dollars a month would greatly help the work of this apostolate. It takes a great amount of time and resources to put these together, and your contributions will help to make the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism more accessible to more people. Now, here's Father McDonald. We looked in the last series of conferences at the spirit of humility, a spirit taught and lived by our Lord Jesus Christ, a spirit which is absolutely necessary for the apostle of the Sacred Heart. It is, of course, a spirit that recognizes that all good comes from God. A spirit that recognizes our own littleness, our need for mercy, that we are all sinners in need of God's forgiveness. The danger, of course, is that in considering our sin, our unworthiness, our littleness, we could become paralyzed by this consideration of our sinfulness. And of course, the devil tries to bury a soul with despair, with discouragement, tries to rob them of hope. Of course, the devil tries to make us forget that Christ loves to show mercy, that our Lord loves the sinner who repents. And therefore, we should always be filled with the greatest confidence that our Lord will forgive, that our Lord will show mercy. In fact, our Lord Jesus Christ delivers a whole series of parables illustrating his desire to show mercy to the sinner in the confidence the sinner should have in turning to him. We have the parable of the Good Shepherd, which is found in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 10, verses 11 through 16. Our Lord is the good shepherd who knows his sheep intimately, knows them by name, and he watches over them. He protects them against the wolves. And unlike the hireling who will flee at the first sign of trouble, our Lord, the good shepherd, will stay faithful to his sheep and he will watch over them. He will protect them. Our Lord delivers, in fact, the beautiful parable of the lost sheep, found in the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. A shepherd has 100 sheep, and one goes astray. And rather than riding off that one insignificant sheep, he leaves the 99, and he goes in search for this lost sheep. And when he finds the sheep, he puts it upon his shoulders, and he returns rejoicing that he has found that lost sheep. That's how precious one soul, even seemingly insignificant, is to our Lord. He will search after us. He will watch over us. And he will rejoice when we we return to him, even if we have gone astray. Even if we have offended him. If we truly repent and return to him, he will rejoice. We have the parable of the lost coin, also found in the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 15, verses 8 through 10. 
A woman loses a coin and she goes about searching her house, tearing it from top to bottom to try to find this coin, asking her friends to help her find the coin. And when she finds it, she rejoices and she contacts all of her friends so that they can share in her joy over finding one small coin. Again, it shows our Lord's great love for even the most insignificant soul, the most hidden soul. The coin, of course, is in the big picture, not all that great, certainly not significant. And yet, our Lord treats that coin as a soul. And it shows us just how much our Lord loves these souls, that he would do anything to bring this soul, to find this soul, to bring it back to him. But certainly the most striking of all the parables on God's great mercy to the sinner is the parable of the prodigal son. The story of a son who returns to his father after going astray and receives from him nothing but mercy, nothing but forgiveness, nothing but love. We find the parable again in the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of substance that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his substance. And not many days after, the younger son, gathering all together, went abroad into a far country, and there wasted his substance living riotously. And after he had spent all, there came a mighty famine in the country, and he began to be in want. And he went and cleaved to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his farm to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And returning to himself, he said, How many hired servants in my father's house abound with bread, and I here perish with hunger? I will arise and will go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am not worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And rising up, he came to his father. And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion and running to him, fell upon his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am not now worthy to be called thy son. And the father said to his servants, bring him, bring forth quickly the first robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and make merry because this my son was dead and is come to life again, was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field and when he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe. And he was angry and would not go in. His father therefore coming out began to entreat him. And he answering said to his father, Behold, for so many years do I serve thee, and I have never transgressed thy commandment, and yet thou hast never given me a kid to make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son is come, who hath devoured his substance with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. But he said to him, Son, thou art always with me, and all I have is thine. 
but it was fit that we should make Marion be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is come to life again. He was lost and is found. In delivering this parable, our Lord answers the Pharisees, who often murmured at his kind, his loving intercourse with sinners and publicans. They could not understand how our Lord would spend time with these known sinners. And because, of course, they looked down upon the sinner, the publican. They could not understand our Lord's great love, his mercy that he offered to them. Now, the parable has two parts. The first concerns a younger son's lapse into evil ways after receiving his inheritance, but ultimately his conversion of heart. The second part, of course, concerns his reception back into his father's house. To truly understand the parable and the great lesson that our Lord wishes to give to us, we have to look a little bit at the details of the family life with regards to this parable. We know the father is wealthy. He provides a good home for his sons. He has servants. He is a man of some, of some substance. He loves his sons. He's good to them. You can see this in how he treats them. He's also generous to his servants. The younger son will even remark later on when he is in want that the servants abound much more abundantly in his father's house than he does. And yet, the younger son demands his part of the inheritance. It's a great mystery. He lives a good life. He has a good father. There's no real reason for him to want to leave. And yet, he wishes to strike out. Strike out for his independence. Live a life of debauchery. And so he asks for his inheritance. Now, according to Jewish law, of course, two-thirds of anything that a man owned would always go to his firstborn son. He had the right of inheritance. The rest, the other one-third, would be divided up among the other children. In this case, of course, the man has only two sons, so a fairly substantial amount of the inheritance, even if it's just one-third, would go to this younger son. But Jewish law said that the only the only the younger sons could claim their portion of the inheritance before the father's death. The oldest son who would inherit most of the inheritance, the family name, the family property, two-thirds of all that the father owned. He, of course, would have to wait until his father passed. But the younger son, he could claim his inheritance, and yet the father was completely free to either accept or refuse his request. He was not obliged. But in this case, the younger son comes and he requests his inheritance. And the father agrees. It is a good reminder to us, of course, that God gives us free will. He wishes us to serve him. He wishes us to be members, faithful sons and daughters of his kingdom, but he will not force. He will not require. He wishes us to freely use the gifts he's given him, though he's given us, I should say, to serve him. The son takes the inheritance and, of course, he abuses the gift. He squanders his fortune in sinful pursuits. 
Again, it's a reminder to us that often we abuse God's gifts. We abuse God's grace. All the things that God gives us to serve him, to render him honor and glory, and we turn around and use them to offend him in sinful pursuits. But soon famine strikes the land, and this younger son, who has squandered his inheritance, who has offended his good father, who has corrupted the family name, he begins to be in want. He begins to suffer. We might say that again. It's a good reminder to us. God often allows suffering to bring about conversion. Sometimes the only way a soul will be brought to his knees is to suffer, is to do without, is to be humiliated. And so this younger son who begins to starve takes a job feeding swine. Now again, for the Jew, this was a great humiliation Swine were considered unclean animals. So it would have been a very much a humiliating occupation to engage in. And yet he still starves to the point where it says that he begins to even long for the husks that the swine eat. That he actually envies the swine, the very animals that he feeds. Until one day he finally comes to his senses. He repents of his sins. He recognizes his fault, his misery. He understands that not only has he offended his loving father, he has offended God as well. And so he resolves to return home, understanding that because of his faults, because of his transgressions, he is no longer worthy to be called his father's son. He will simply ask his father to receive him back as a servant, knowing that his father, so loving, so kind, so merciful, will treat him well, even in a spirit of servitude. And so he makes the journey back to his father's house. And it says that the father sees him from afar. You get the sense that this good man, this good, loving father, goes out each night looking for his son, waiting to see if he would return, always waiting for him. And when he sees him afar off, he is not content to let the son come to him. He runs out to meet him. And he shows nothing but love and compassion for his wretched son. And the son, of course, goes into his speech about how he's not worthy to be called his son any longer, that he wishes just to be a servant. And yet the father forgives him immediately upon his return, putting a ring upon his finger, clothing him with a fine robe, killing the fatted calf to have a great feast to celebrate the son's return. Now, meanwhile, as all this is going on, the older son is out in the fields, doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. He's working for his father. And when he comes and he hears the festivities, he calls a servant out and asks what this means. And when he learns that it is a celebration for the younger son's return, the older son is scandalized and he refuses to take part in the feast. He remains outside. He's bitter. 
He's unforgiving. And when the father, looking for his older son, sees that he's not in the festivities, he also goes out to find this son as well. And when the son laments the fact that he has been faithful and has never received that this like treatment, and that this son, this younger brother, who has uh, in, caused shame to the family, has returned and been received back, it's unfair. And then the father reminds him that the inheritance is, is unchanged. This older son still will receive the family name, still the family property. All that the father has is his. And the father has never ceased to love this good, faithful son, who is not a bad person, in fact, just the opposite. And yet, the father reminds him, we must be willing to forgive this younger son, this younger brother of yours, when he addresses this son, the older son, he was dead and has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And therefore, we must rejoice. Therefore, we must show him that same love and mercy. Now, in the parable, the father, of course, represents God. So loving, so, so doting upon us. Such a good father. The older son represents the just souls, those who, by the grace of God, do what they're supposed to do, do not fall into any grave, serious sins. The younger son, of course, represents the sinner. Those souls who abuse God's grace fall into sin. The moral, the moral of the parable is, is very clear. God has an inexhaustible love and mercy for the sinful yet repentant son or daughter, that God is always willing to forgive. In fact, he loves to forgive those souls who repent. It is a reminder to us that our Lord came to bring mercy. In fact, mercy is so dear to the sacred heart that he uses an example so touching, like a son receiving or returning to his father, and the father receiving his son back, so touching that it would move our hearts. That's how dear mercy is to the sacred heart. God is so good, so loving to us. The sinner abuses free will and causes, in a sense, grief to God. But when he repents, when he casts off that life of ingratitude and returns to God, there's a great joy in heaven. Our Lord, in delivering this parable of the prodigal son, shows us in the fall of the son, firstly, the wickedness, the ingratitude of sin to our God. This parable should remind us of just how evil sin is. How ungrateful it is for us who have been given so much to ever commit sin, to turn our back upon God. Secondly, our Lord shows in the fall of the son the consequences of sin. Misfortune, degradation, humiliation. And ultimately, if that sin is unrepented, of course, it brings damnation. And then finally, our Lord shows in the fall of the son that despite our weakness, despite the sins we may fall into, the heart still is made for God. The heart longs for God. 
That's why St. Augustine could say that his heart would never rest unless it, unless it rested in God. That's why so many souls who give themselves over to a life of sin, who try to find their happiness in sinful pursuits, worldly pursuits, they are never at peace. They are never happy. It's because their heart longs for something more. They were made for God. They're meant to return to God. And even if the soul denies the existence of God, even if a soul denies the existence of religion and seems to try to lose itself in all of the pleasures of the world, that soul will never be content. That soul will never be happy. And we see that constantly in the lives of celebrities, of, of sportsmen, of politicians, whatever it may be. Unless we give ourselves over to God, we will never be happy. Our heart is made for God. This parable, of course, reminds us that we must repent of our sins. We must trust in God's mercy. We must truly convert. A metanoia, the Greek word for a conversion of heart, a conversion of manners. This parable shows us God's merciful love for the repentant sinner, that God loves to show mercy. But what's more, he wishes us to show mercy as well. A true follower of Christ, a true apostle of the Sacred Heart, will also love to forgive and be willing to forgive all those who offend them. In fact, this older son in the parable represents the just who murmur at God's merciful love for sinners. He represents those souls who harden their hearts against the sinner who lament the fact that God is so willing to forgive. They'd much rather see revenge. They'd much rather see all those enemies of the church, of God, of Christ, get theirs. And yet our Lord is so merciful, so forgiving that he waits and he calls souls back to forgiveness. We must be careful never to harden our hearts. Of course, we must hate sin. And of course, we must stand for God's honor and glory. But we must be willing to forgive. And we must remember that God can and will perfect souls, even laden with faults. That God can perfect each one of us, despite our faults, despite our weaknesses. We must remember that our Lord preaches this sermon to correct the Pharisees who murmured at God's loving mercy who murmured at our Lord Jesus Christ and his willingness to spend time with the sinner. Finally, the great feast that is given upon the son's return is a great reminder to us that our Lord often reserves the choicest graces for the repentant sinner. We think of St. Mary Magdalene, St. Paul the Apostle, St. Augustine, sinners who found God's mercy, who found God's grace, and lived a profound life of union with God afterward, who did so much good for souls, for the church, for the honor and glory of God. You remember the beautiful words of sacred scripture delivered right before our Lord, in fact, delivers this parable. There is more joy in heaven over one sinner who does penance 
than over 99 just who need not penance. This parable then of the prodigal son is a beautiful reminder of God's merciful love for the sinner. God loves to show mercy. In fact, mercy is particular to God. And therefore, we must have the greatest confidence in God's mercy. We must have the greatest confidence that our Lord wishes to forgive us. A true follower of Christ will never allow discouragement to keep them away from repenting of their sins. Will never keep them away from asking our Lord to be received back into his good graces. And what's more, if we are filled with confidence in God's mercy, we should love to show mercy to others. We should always be willing to forgive as we have been forgiven. We are sinners, yes, but God loves the repentant sinner. And that's all he asks of us, is that we truly repent, ask for forgiveness, and amend our lives. Our Lord, of course, came to bring mercy and forgiveness. His delight is to forgive. He loves to shower us with mercy. And that's why we must be filled with confidence and forgiveness, confidence in the mercy of God. And we must be filled with a desire to show mercy to all that we meet. This is the spirit of the Sacred Heart. This is the spirit of the Apostle of the Sacred Heart. Mm -hmm.